Hey, hey, welcome to episode three. Do you know your audience's agenda? This is the Claim the Stage podcast, a podcast for women who want to become professional speakers. I'm Angela Lucier, and I call myself the unlikely speaker. I'm a former shy girl turned professional speaker, author of three books, trainer, and I'm the founder of the Speaking School for Women. Today, I welcome Suzanne Bates to the show. I was introduced to Suzanne while pitching my speaking school for women in a pitch contest at a business accelerator program in Springfield, Massachusetts. Two judges came up to me immediately after I pitched to say, you need to meet Suzanne Bates. I took their advice and after meeting with Suzanne, realized I needed to have her on the show. Today, you'll learn from Suzanne why she decided to leave journalism in favor of the unknown land of business ownership. She'll share her advice for new speakers, talk about how a book helped her build her brand. She'll talk about what speaking did to boost her business, and she'll share one of her clever tools she created to help her clients become better speakers. It's all here and more. Enjoy. All right. Today on our show, I'd like to welcome Suzanne Bates. She is the CEO of Bates, a firm with a mission to help leaders shape the world. The firm is distinguished in the field of leadership development for its groundbreaking research and practical approach to helping leaders develop executive presence. As a coach to some of the world's top executives, Suzanne's passion is helping leaders align, engage, and move people to drive results for their organizations, and the world around them. In 2005, she published her first book, Speak Like a CEO, Secrets for Commanding Attention and Getting Results, which went to number six on the bestseller charts on Amazon.com. Her latest book, All the Leader You Can Be, The Science of Achieving Extraordinary Executive Presence, was published by McGraw-Hill in March of 2016. Suzanne, welcome to the show. Angela, such a pleasure to be with you and your listeners today. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, I'm so happy to talk with you because a lot of our, our my listeners are women who want to build their business through public speaking. And, you know, many of them left a secure career to pursue self-employment and they're interested in women who've done the same thing. And I know that you didn't start out in consulting. You started in journalism. And I'd love if you could take us through that journey and tell us a little bit about your first career and how you transitioned into this. Journalism was my first career. I was a television news reporter and anchor starting out in a tiny market in the Midwest where I grew up, Rockford, Illinois. I loved journalism. It was a really a great time to be a woman in television. Uh, I've been around long enough to have been the first woman to be a reporter or anchor in some of the markets where I worked. Wow. Yeah, and uh, so it was a very exciting time. And journalism for me was a mission. It was the years after Watergate. Um, I, you know, I really felt uh, a connection to the viewers and, and bringing them uh, a d deeper and greater understanding of, you know, whatever I was covering, politics, business, you know, whatever it was. And I loved telling a story. So the, it was a great career. I ended uh, up in Boston, my last stop in television, which is where I live today. And I worked at WBZ TV for 13 years. And my last role there was anchoring the morning news, which was a growing, uh, you know, part of the television business. Now it's upside down. It used to be more people watched at night. Now I think most of your listeners probably would relate to this. Most people watch in the morning. So it was great. I loved all the teams that I worked with. Uh, I enjoyed 
the, the excitement of not knowing what was going to happen any day you came in and, and needing to um, not only be on top of what's going on in the world, but in, uh, to, ha to be you know, facile enough to be able to cover all different kinds of stories. And I never really anticipated leaving television, but um, you know, a couple of things um, happened, or maybe just started to dawn on me slowly, which may be uh, something that uh, will resonate for your listeners who are making the transition or have made the transition from working for a company and a paycheck to being on their own. Uh, one of them was that I was getting up at three o'clock in the morning, and I did that for nine years, and I had a family, and you know, in some ways it worked, in others it didn't. I used to tell people I felt like I had the flu every day because I never got enough sleep. <laughs> so if you ever wonder about those poor people on television in the morning, uh, you know, they look chipper, but you know, it's a it's a hard road. So the the lifestyle wasn't working for me as much anymore, and I did not want to uh, move on uh, to another market or even to the network. Uh, you know, I'd had a few opportunities, but it just didn't work for my family life. So, and I also wanted to take control of my financial life. And what I mean by that is I, you know, the, where I was working in, in, in the television business, the salaries were plateauing and I really wanted to build wealth. Hmm. So, uh, and I, you know, I wasn't completely unfamiliar with um, the entrepreneurial life. My father was an attorney, but he always had his own practice, either on his own or with partners. And he also had business ventures. He owned a part of a, a radio station. He owned a, an auto dealership. So, you know, I'd been around the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur, and, and I found it exciting. It still was a, a challenging transition to make, for sure. And I had some great advice along the way from you know, mentors, and I really didn't have very mentor, many mentors in in television. But when I was starting my business, I realized I was completely out of my depth. So I reached out to people I know. Mostly, they were women who were already in business. One of them uh, was a career coach. Um, she actually helped me think through what I might want to do, how I might want to translate what I did into a business. Um, one of them was a financial coach, and she was the person who helped me. Um, get my mind around uh, not having an income and being on my own. And I'll stop here because, you know, the story could go on forever. But one of the things that she told me that I found very valuable was, you know, what you're wa going to want to do is uh, put a gate around a, an amount of money that you think you're going to be able to live on for a year so that you take the worry out of having to make money at the same level you're making it now because you won't do that in your first year. Yeah. And so that's what I did. I set aside money to uh, help me get up and running and it freed me to experiment and try new things and it, and it gave me, I guess, it allowed me to focus my energy on figuring out what my business was going to be and growing the practice. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like broadcasting gave you a bit of training because you said you liked waking up each morning not knowing what that day was going to be like. And in some ways, that's exactly what owning your own business is like. Yeah. <laughs> so you already had that kind of under your hat, which is something that other people who have a steady job don't always have. And they're like, wait, I have yeah. to create each day and I have to make all these decisions. And <laughs> so you know, 
you mentioned that uh, I had a, one of those mentors I told you about, Angela. You know, I asked her that question about three, four months in. I said, "How on earth do you decide every day what to do?" Because there'd be a huge pile on my desk of stuff I could do. Yeah. And she said, "She said it's very simple." She says, "I look at the pile and I put on top what's going to make me the most money." Mm-hmm. That's that's a great way to go. Because yeah. <laughs> it can be easy to get lost in all the details and the fun stuff and realize, wow, I didn't do one single thing today to grow my business. <laughs> yeah. So you, you, you talked to a career coach, you talked to a financial advisor, you got an idea of kind of where you wanted to go, how much money you needed to make. But what was your vision when, when you were starting out? Did you have one or was it just, I'm going to jump into this and see where it goes? I jumped in to see where it went initially, and I really had a very modest vision at that time, which was to translate what I knew into working with executives on presentations and media. So I was going to be a presentation and media coach, and I did start that way. Uh, what happened was I got entree to working in some large corporations with some pretty senior executives, and and, and that was really just uh, uh parlaying my experience in television, you know, using the brand that I had to transition to, uh, you know, a different brand. And so because I had the opportunity to work with senior leaders in some big companies, um, I got interested in leadership. Uh, You know, I I found the people that I was working with, you know, many of them just really bright people, uh, people that I could learn from too. And uh, so I became a student of leadership. And what occurred to me as I was on that path was what would be more interesting than just one time teaching people to present or do a media interview would be to work with them over the long term on their strategic goals and helping them achieve their business objectives. So um, at that time, executive coaching was really fairly new. Today, there are a lot of coaches out there, but 15, 16 years ago, executive coaching in the corporate setting was really just uh, beginning to take hold. And what I did is I married what I did with the for- a formula for six-month and one-year coaching engagements. And I began to develop some of my own tools and processes uh, so that I would have my own IP. And as a result of that, I was able to start on the first book, Speak Like a CEO. Because uh, I know you want to get to the, the importance of, of writing and speaking and building your business. My time with clients was what um, helped me frame what I was teaching. In other words, to come up with tools and techniques for helping other people replicate it rather than just helping them with a speech, teaching them how to build a speech, or rather than just helping them with a media, teaching them the techniques that would always serve them uh, long after I was gone. And, you know, I do think it's very important if you're, if you're going to write a book and whatever your book top, topic is, that you have your own expertise. You know, there's a lot that you can put into a book, but at the core of it, it's, um, it's uh, what are you going to offer your reader that's high value and going to uh, change their lives for the better. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you go from like a, a list of tips or techniques and turn that into intellectual property? Do you have to give it a fancy name or come up with your own steps and titles and put a fancy ribbon around it. I mean, it, it seems like there's some, there's a, some steps that need to happen in between those two areas. 
Yeah, I can tell you about a couple of experiences of creating tools, and um, and hopefully that'll you know really resonate for people who are thinking about how to do that. Uh, so, and I have never been a teacher, but I do enjoy the teaching and training part. Um, I, what I enjoy is taking apart what I know instinctively and figuring out how did I get there. Mm -hmm. So I do think that uh, whatever you're going to teach or whatever tool or construct or paradigm you're going to create, what you first have to do is figure out what you know and then deconstruct it so you can reconstruct it for someone else. So, and, and some of the tools that we teach are extremely simple and yet very powerful. One of them is what we call the audience agenda system. And I'm only going to share this story so you know how it came about. I was doing presentation training for salespeople in a financial services company, and I couldn't figure out why they kept coming in with the same dumb book with these pictures of ship and, and telling their clients all about the company when that really is, is a, probably the worst way to sell. So I would stop them and I'd ask them, you know, what, do you, what does your client want to talk about? And they'd say, oh, well, I hadn't really thought about that. So I drew a line down uh, a whiteboard. And on the left-hand side of the page, I wrote at the top, your agenda. And on the right-hand side of the page, I wrote their agenda. So what I had them do was fill out my agenda and then get into the mind of the client and figure out what did they want to know. And what was revealing was the two agendas were always dramatically different. So I, I put that, I, I called it cleverly, audience agenda. <laughs> and to your point, you know, how many bells and whistles do you have to have? Not that many. Um, we now have, uh, our firm is about uh, 30, 35 people. And our consultants still tell me that the best tool we have, we have a lot of other tools, but the best tool we have for helping people reframe their thinking is audience agenda. It's nothing but a line down the center of a page. <laughs> But used artfully, you know, by somebody who understands how to draw that out in people, um, it changes the game for them. Yeah. And it's also not intimidating to work with. So it, it sort of, it, they're more inclined to use it, right? Yeah, exactly. It's easy. It's easy, easy to remember, easy to use. And the aha moment, you know, in this case, and that's what you want to create for people. It's those aha moments when they say, wow. This is so, uh, you know, revealing. I never thought about it this way. And, and one of the things I would really caution people not to do when you're, you know, building models or building paradigms or building processes is not to make it too complicated because um, people can't remember it. That doesn't mean it can't be sophisticated. There's a difference between complication and sophistication. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. Um, so you, you mentioned being a trainer, and I want to get back to when you decided to become a public speaker and how that impacted your business. Yeah, well, you know, I looked around and I saw that um, a lot of people who were successful building their businesses had a high profile, that they were out there speaking publicly, and that was part of how they got publicity. The two components, the two common uh, threads always seemed to be that they had a book and that they were speaking publicly. So I, uh, what I did is uh, I actually worked with somebody like you, Angela. Uh, you weren't around then, so I worked with uh, uh, somebody who was a coach to speakers who were building a business and building a practice. And some of the things that she helped me do were to clearly identify my audience as executives, to narrow my audience down. It's still a big audience because we work in every industry, but 
it helped me to focus on what kind of uh, work I wanted to be doing, what kind of tools I wanted to be creating. And then she helped me actually come up with, uh, I think she helped me come up with the title of my first book. And then I also brought in a book, uh, uh, he's, a, he's a consultant, uh, to, to work with me on developing a book proposal that was accepted by McGraw-Hill. Um, but I think, you know, your original question is how do I get started in public speaking? I also had other help. I joined the National Speakers Association, which is a phenomenal resource for people who want to build a speaking business. And their focus, like yours, is in helping people get paid to speak. So, um, you know, it's it's not one or the other. I think that if you have somebody like Angela in your life, um, you're going to be able to accelerate your, your path to getting paid to speak. Uh, if you have a, a community of people, as you do, would with a, with NSA, or maybe the community that you're creating, Angela, it also helps you accelerate because you can beg and, and borrow and learn from others, and they learn from you, and that also accelerates your progress because building a speaking business is no small matter. A lot of people, uh, you know, frankly, try and fail. And um, it requires some focus and concentration on a lot of different areas, marketing yourself as a speaker, uh, figuring out what your area of expertise is, developing your platform skills, and, uh, and then um, getting yourself uh, booked to speak. So, you know, that alone can be a full-time business. For me, I never wanted speaking to be my business. I wanted it to support my business. Uh, but I also wanted to teach public speaking, so it had a, a you know a dual purpose for me. But I found my association with other speakers to also really be helpful in accelerating that path. Mm -hmm. And when your book came out, did you find that that made an impact on your speaking business and your your ability to book gigs and get paying gigs and you know increasing your your uh, profile? Commercially published book is the most valuable way to get yourself booked as a speaker. There's no question about it. When you can put author of in front of or behind your name, uh, you have automatic entree to uh, work with corporate clients, uh, retail clients, and to speak at conferences. Um, it's not A book is not only a big business card that you can send to your clients. It puts you on the map as an expert in your field, and it gives you the credibility to stand in front of an audience and uh, deliver a message. Yeah, so your fourth commercially published book came out a few months ago. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, the new book is All the Leader You Can Be, The Science of Achieving Extraordinary Executive Presence. And it's a good example of how your business can evolve. I kind of left off a story where I was doing presentation and media training on my own. As our business grew, companies came to us and they would often say, we have leaders who need to work on executive presence. And I would say, well, that's great, but um, what does that mean to you? Because we hear the term a lot and they'd say, well, I'm not sure, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, after we'd heard that about a thousand times, uh, you know, we were working with leaders and taking a guess as to what we thought they needed to do to develop presence. But uh, we finally thought what we really needed um, to establish ourselves as the experts in the field was a science-based model of executive presence. What does it mean? How do you measure it? What are the qualities of presence? And how do you give leaders actionable feedback that will guide them on a path to development. 
So we spent about two years and well over a million dollars developing a model and an assessment of executive presence that's now used in a multitude of industries in, in 17 countries. And so the book is about our research on executive presence. It shares case studies of leaders who uh, you know, are on a path to becoming the best they can be. And, uh, and also the stories of teams and you know, groups of leaders who have used the model and the assessment to create awareness and understanding of how they can um, you know, become even better at what they do. And the way we define executive presence is the ability to engage, align, inspire, and move people to act. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, who doesn't want to be that? <laughs> <laughs> so that sounds amazing. Can you share a case study from the book? Yeah, you know, um, gosh, there's so many. Uh, we, there, I worked with uh, a woman, a leader, who uh, was a SVP of her business. And uh, she was, in many ways, very typical of successful women. Although there's no single profile and we don't type people at all, we show them a, a really a, an individual personalized model of their strengths and gaps, their brand, if you will, as an executive presence. But what was, uh, I think, uh, what was lovely about her is she's very creative, very high energy. People love her. They want to be around her. She's full of ideas. Uh, she's a, a driver. Uh, what what they didn't like about her was, you know, kind of on the same level, you know, she ran a mile a minute. People wanted to get her time, but she was so busy she had trouble making time for them. And uh, as a result, sometimes they didn't always feel that she was uh, uh, on top of things, intentional about her leadership, uh, getting other people on board, empowering them to do the work. And so we have a model with 15 qualities of executive presence. One of them I just mentioned is intentionality. Another is vision. Um, so where she was strong are in qualities like authenticity and even concern, you know, really expressing interest in others. Um, but she was lower in practical wisdom, the ability to get to the heart of the matter. You know, she would have people running in circles thinking when they left a meeting they had 30 more things to do. Intentionality is the ability to clarify direction and get people aligned and on track. So this is feedback she'd never received before uh, because the model is, measures things that other competency models and assessments don't. It's, it's a, it's a modern-day view of leadership, and most assessments uh, like the uh, Myers-Briggs and others you're familiar with were created in the 80s and the 90s and maybe the early 2000s. So she got new information that really enabled her to focus in on uh, the things that might hold her back as she... Um, was in, uh, you know in line in succession for the next role, and it was transformational for her. Wow, I want to read this book. It sounds great. <laughs> now you also uh, self-published a collection of essays called Thoughts for Tuesday. What is that book about? Thoughts for Tuesday is also the name of my blog. I, I love to tell stories, and so I have for several years published. Uh, now it's not every Tuesday, but usually every other Tuesday, at least one Tuesday a month, I publish a story with a, a point, and I try to make them, you know, fun to read, not so businessy and obvious in the way I'm conveying the message, but really just more about people and life, and and uh, but still with a business message, and uh, it's been very popular. 
uh, blog, we've got a nice following for it. And it just occurred to us one day, maybe we should put a collection of the best of those into a book. And we did. And that book, um, I never really intended to make money on it. I really just wanted it to be a gift for people. Uh, so we use it as a client gift. People do buy it. It's on Amazon. Um, you know, we give it away. It's a good example of how to write and tell stories. So we give it away in storytelling courses, you know, that sort of thing. But it was more of a, a it was, that was easy to put together because I was already writing. And, you know, back to your listeners, I think one of the things that's important if you're going to write a book is to be a writer. And to be a writer, you need to blog. You need to write a lot because the more you write, the better you get. Uh, the easier it comes, uh, the more you're able to notice um, things that are happening in your life and to translate those into, uh, you know, valuable lessons for your readers. And so I would just encourage anybody who's uh, thinking of writing a book not to look at it as, uh, well, look, it's going to be tough no matter, you know, I'm, I was, you know, a sort of a writer. I mean, I was a journalist. I'd never written a book before I wrote the first one. But I mean, I had I had writing in my repertoire. Um, but you know, writing a book is a is a big undertaking. You have to have uh, a burning, not only desire to do it, but you have to have an outcome um, that's very clear for you. You know what you're going to get from writing that book. But thoughts for Tuesday. Back to that was really a, a, you know that was a pleasure because I'd already written the essays and it was fun to see them all come together in a book. Yeah, and that's a great example of repurposing content because you've yeah. got something that people like and now you're just putting it out there in a new way. So it's not a lot of extra work. So that's great. I'm a big proponent of repurposing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which we should we all should be because we're all we've got our brand and we have several different ways that we can communicate those ideas. So we might as well just reuse them and, you know, put them out there in different ways. Yeah, I mean, an example of how we do that now is um, we might write a blog about something when we're starting to talk about a topic. Then we'll write an article for to pitch uh, or pitch an article and then write it. Uh, but we'll also prepare a white paper. Uh, we might even do a video on the same topic. Uh, we might do a graphic illustration of a white paper, something that's easier to digest, all on a single topic. And, you know, most topics lend themselves to several offshoots, uh, you know, of that topic. So it's just um, you have to constantly think, how can I leverage my time and my expertise to get more content out there? Yeah. And that, that is such great advice when, you know, business owners always say, my biggest challenge is finding enough time in the day. And so creating efficiencies like that are huge. And so it sounds like, you know, you've been in business for 16, 17 years, and you've learned a lot about how to do it right. Going back to when you started, what's the biggest mistake you made? And what's the best piece of advice you would give to a woman who's new to business ownership? The biggest mistake that I made was not going faster. <laughs> and that isn't to say I wasn't running fast, but uh, maybe more accurately, it's thinking bigger. Uh, you, you know, what I, what I um, realized after a year or two was that I could bring other people on. Uh, that was my choice uh, to leverage myself or leverage what we do uh, by bringing other people in and making what we teach replicable. That's not the only way to build a business. You can build a solo practice, but you always need to be thinking bigger. You need to get rid of the old ways and keep moving toward something new that's going to either build value in your business if you're building a company with employees 
or something that's going to enable you to charge more this year than you did last year. So I would just say always be shedding the bottom 10% and thinking about what greater value you can bring to a higher level economic buyer and making sure you're getting in front of them. That's excellent. So let's jump into our lightning round. We have five quick questions with Suzanne. First question, what advice do you have for women who are afraid of public speaking? I was terrified of public speaking, which will shock you because I was on television for over 20 years. But public speaking is not the same thing as being on television in front of the camera. I mean, there certainly are similarities, and I've been in front of crowds before, but when I had to go deliver my own content, what I did to get over, I wasn't, I wasn't afraid to be in front of people, and I know that is a challenge for some of us, but most of that can be overcome through preparation. So what I did is I went and started teaching at an adult ed program. I made up a couple of uh, courses. They were simple, you know, four or five session courses. Uh, but I was terrified when I walked in the door the first time. Now, I mean, it's laughable to think about it, but I was really nervous about telling that first story, kicking it off. How would my material come across? So I would say one of the best ways, if you really are, um, feeling nervous about it is to start small with a friendly audience and just get out there and speak. Speak to speak. The more you speak, the better you get, the more you get invited to speak and the, and, and the less anxiety you feel about it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Second question, do you have a personal operating philosophy? And if so, what is it? Fulfill your mission, have fun, and make money. Perfect. I mean, business, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Third question, what advice would you give to your 25-year-old self? Relax, because you can't connect the dots backward, uh, forward. You can only connect the dots back, which I've stolen from Steve Jobs. But what's meant by that is you really can't uh, picture what's going to happen in your life. Uh, but, but when you get to a certain point, it's all really a lot of fun to connect the dots backwards. And, you know, not to make it too long an answer, but he... One, that came out of his conversation about why he took a calligraphy course in college. Well, she dropped out of college. But that calligraphy course he, that just interested in the time taught him about aesthetics. And it, he claims that was really what uh, guided his thinking about the first fonts for the Mac and the design of it. And so, uh, you know, I say don't worry when you're 25 because you can't know what's ahead. But it's all it's all good. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. Number four, what advice do you have for your 75-year-old self? Retirement is a myth. Um, <laughs> you know, I just read a fabulous book called Retire the, the New Retirementality. I don't know the author's name offhand, but I recommend it uh, to a lot of people. Because, you know, we all have this idea that at 62, we're going to check out and go play golf. And hopefully we have enough money to survive, you know, even if we live to 90, which is, you know, almost no one I know. So... You know, to me, uh, you know, I just turned 60, and um, I think this is the most exciting, energizing time in my life. And 75 isn't that far away, but I've reframed how I'm thinking about the next third of my life, if I'm so lucky to live that long. It's to live with purpose, um, you know, to, to have passion, to get up every day excited about what you're doing, to make a difference in the world, to make money, to build wealth, um, and to enjoy it. And so I want to do that as long as I can. You know, maybe it's not, 
you know, when you're starting your business and, you know, you're working 60 hours a week and you're thinking, this is unsustainable, I, I believe me, I've been there and I know how that feels and it might think, you might be thinking, oh, you know, I hope I can retire someday. And we all have a different way of thinking about that and, and I think you think about it differently at different ages. But I'm thinking about 75 a lot differently than I was when I was 35 or 40. Mm-hmm. And number five, if you had to pick one object to represent yourself, what would you pick? Holy cow. You know, I didn't really think about that one so much. Um, I would say the first thing that comes to mind is a star. But by that, I don't mean that I'm a star. I just think that, you know, for me, the symbolism of a star is that it, it's out there in the universe. There's mystery to it, uh, but it's kind of a beacon. It's it's inspiring, um, it, you know, uh, c to kind of think about, um, you know, how far away it is and how long it's taken that light to travel. And, you know, I, I guess I'd, I'd like to be, you know, a, a something like that in other people's universe. Uh, and all I mean by that is, uh, you know, at some point in time, maybe I've inspired them. Yeah. And I notice when I look up at the stars, they help put things in perspective. Yeah. And so that's another great reason to to want to be one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Suzanne, this has been so great. Tell us again the name of your new book and where our listeners can get one. Oh, yeah. Thank you for asking. The new book is called All the Leader You Can Be, The Science of Achieving Extraordinary Executive Presence. But if you just um, remember All the Leader you'll get there. Um, it's on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And also, you know, your listeners might be interested in taking a free pre-assessment survey. So the, if you want to take the assessment, of course, there's a, you know, there's a cost to that. It's part of our coaching program. But we set up a website, alltheleaderbook.com. And if you go there, you'll see, click right there on the page to a pre-assessment survey. And it's kind of fun to take. What it does is it asks you questions like, uh, what's your, uh, you know, what are you doing today? What's your role and responsibility? What are some of your business challenges? Uh, what are your aspirations for developing yourself? And then it sends you a, a somewhat personalized email that uh, shares with you uh, the model of executive presence and some of the qualities of executive presence that might be important for you to develop. So it's alltheleaderbook.com. Great. I know what I'm doing this afternoon. <laughs> um, where else can we find you? Where can we follow you? And how do we find you if we want to get on your Thoughts for Tuesday list? Oh, thank you. Just go to Bates-Communications with an S.com. So it's Bates-Communications.com. And you'll see right there, there's a sign up for our blog. And uh, I think it's called Thoughts for Tuesday still. Uh, and you know, if um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm I'm CEO Coach Bates. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. This was super helpful. I'm, I know that my listeners are going to love, you know, implementing what you've shared and thinking deeply about the importance of a book and how to really use public speaking to to bolster their business because you've built something amazing with your brand and um, I hope that you've inspired others today to do the same. Well, you're doing some great work, Angela, and um, people are lucky to be connected to you. Um, I would just say, it, you know, if you're thinking about starting, start. If you've started, keep going. Uh, dream big and believe it because, uh, you know, 
One last thing. I drew a picture five years into my business of what it would look like today in crayon, and today that's what it looks like. So <laughs> visualize it, believe it, and get up every day committed to making it happen, and it will. I love it. Was it Were, were the crayons intentional, or was that just the closest it was tool? A one. I actually use that technique with my clients now. Yeah, it's great visual. Visualization is great because it taps into the right side of the brain. It helps you overcome all those I can't, I can't, and, you know, get past all that and picture the future. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in to episode three. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe by hitting the subscribe button. Also, please rate and review my new show so more people can find it. Thanks for listening. And next time, I'll be talking to Jamie Lee, an unlikely negotiation coach from New York City. See you then.